0: Hey friends, this is Rob and I thought I'd just capture a few minutes of uh, chatting about Bitcoin for those of you who said you're interested. Uh, there's obviously a lot of great stuff online about Bitcoin and you can read more about it. This is just you know, my perspective on it. I've known about Bitcoin for years. Um, Probably, I, I could have been investing in Bitcoin all along. Uh, I could have bought a lot more even six, seven years ago. I didn't. Uh, obviously, that turned out to be a stupid decision. Um, but to some degree, the reason I didn't, and the reason I'm acknowledging this, is that uh, I was I was interested to see the network effect of Bitcoin build uh, before I did. And that really is the core, I think, discussion to have around Bitcoin is the sense that, you know, any store of value, any anything that's valuable out in the world, operates on a network effect. Meaning, you know, gold would not be valuable if only one or two people in the whole world thought gold was valuable. By definition, something that is acts as a store of value does so because a lot of people think it's valuable. And the more people think something is valuable, the more uh, of a network effect it has, the more it can act as a store of value because then it becomes more and more liquid uh, in the sense that people will exchange you other things of value for it. So, you know, they'll give you dollars for your gold or your gold can be traded for cars or food or housing or what have you. So by definition, things of value have to have a network effect associated with them. And cryptocurrencies, when they came along, um, no one had ever really uh, seen something like this. And so the question of whether it, it got adopted and whether people believed in it uh, was very much an open question. Now, that has largely been settled uh, at least you know this past decade. Uh, in, in successive waves of run-ups, from you know zero to a thousand to four thousand to twenty thousand to now forty thousand dollars per coin, Bitcoin has proven to be very robust. As you know, millions of people have gotten involved or bought Bitcoin, and you know billions—well, first millions of dollars, and then billions of dollars, and now approaching a trillion dollars um, of total real money. Uh, having flowed into into the network, um, and so ultimately the the network effect that underlies bitcoin is has really proven to be quite robust, and it it doesn 't really show any signs of of slowing down and as you 've seen on my Twitter feed i 've said that you know there 's very few things that we see as as clean and pure of an experiment in the lower left as what you see with something like Bitcoin. Because it is, I mean, it really is a pure experiment in the lower left, meaning that network effect that's, that's occurring is a matter of belief. Now, we, you know, in a sec, we'll kind of unpack what some of those beliefs are and why that's occurring. But you can't deny the fact that the, that the reason the, the dollar value continues to grow is because people are adopting it. And and that's happening because of of a growing collective belief uh, that undergirds it. So that's it's a pretty interesting phenomenon just from that standpoint. Um, and obviously the value, you know, has continued to grow. Now talking about that value for a minute, um, one of the things I pointed out is that you know there is no intrinsic value to Bitcoin one way or another. Uh, if a trillion dollars flows into Bitcoin, then you can take the number of coins on the network and divide it by the trillion dollars of capital that have gone into it, and you're going to get you know, a set of prices that reflect that. Uh, if that number was uh, only, a, only 10% of that, well, then you're going to have prices that reflect that. Neither is better or worse per se. Um, I mean, one might have a more robust network effect by virtue of the fact that more people have adopted it but there's, there's really no intrinsic value to it per se as it relates to um, the, you know, the dollar amount, other than the fact that uh, more capital going in uh, means that there's more, uh, more value per coin. And, and really the, the key innovation of Bitcoin in a lot of ways is the fact that it's got a fixed supply uh, on a digital ledger, a public database. So that fixed supply, um, is is really very powerful. Uh, so we're at about 18 and a half million coins having been mined today, and a total upper limit, mathematically, a total upper limit uh, on the coinage of about 21 million. Actually, 21 million exactly. Um, and that's significant, right? Because if let's say you have a trillion dollars or approaching a trillion dollars in in capital that has gone into the network. Today, uh, and you're at you know ninety percent of the Bitcoin that will ever be in existence has already been mined. Um, that tells you that that over the next ten years, as we increasingly approach you know twenty and then twenty one trillion, uh, that's it. That's all the supply that will will ever be available. And if the value or the amount of money that goes into the network goes from one trillion to two trillion to four trillion to eight trillion, well, then the value of the coins, by definition, will have to go up a whole hell of a lot. So a thirty thousand or forty thousand dollar coin today um, could very easily see eighty thousand within a couple of years. Could see you know two hundred thousand within a few years after that. Could see five hundred thousand after that. And you might say, what's the upper limit? Well. You know, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird question because at the end of the day, um, remember that when we talk about what the what the other side of that Bitcoin measurement is, it's dollars, right? And 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 so, you know, this is this is a little nuance, but I think you'll track it, right? So, if it, we're talking about a trillion dollars in today, and you know, what's the instance where it goes to five trillion or ten trillion? Well, it's with economic growth uh, and more money printing, right? And so one of the things that are drawing people into Bitcoin is the fact that the, the, the other currency, the thing that's measured in, at least dollars, is being printed by the Federal Reserve at a, at a massive rate. I mean, they're inflating the value of your money away. At least that's the, that's the argument that a lot of, you know, Bitcoiners would make. And, you know, it's, clearly that is true. Um, so if they continue to print money the way they have in the standard fiat based economic system, then it is, you can understand why, um, more and more money supply being out there more and more quote unquote economic growth being driven through money printing more inflation Probably more debt-driven growth, uh, and you have an overall economy that grows. At least it looks like it grows on paper, right? But if the economy grows by six percent, um, most of which was on borrowed money, and you know much of that was 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 generated out of thin air from the Fed printing dollars, and therefore uh, you know a five percent inflation rate. Well, then that's not real economic growth. But but that's 6% of economic growth, if it translates into more money being in the economy, and therefore capitalization of Bitcoin goes from a trillion to two trillion to four trillion to eight trillion, well, then you can see how the value of Bitcoin could grow in real terms, even though the econo- the overall economy was growing kind of in fake terms. I, I know, you know that's maybe a little bit hard to, to catch, but it's actually quite important to the overall case of whether you might be interested in Bitcoin. the the fundamental notion is that Bitcoin has a relatively fixed supply over the next 10 or 15 year time horizon Um, and the supply of dollars that they're going to try to use to drive economic growth is fairly limitless and so in in a way Bitcoin is a bet on that arbitrage it's a bet on that, that sort of disequilibrium between those two things and you might say well you know why are they going to have to print the dollars well ultimately it's because they're facing a a deflationary uh economy uh globally we're in a deflationary period not an inflationary one we have a demographic problem um and technology itself is fundamentally deflationary which means it drives down prices we get more for our money through technology every day and every year uh, and some of the innovations coming along over the next 10 or 15 years are going to be absolutely extraordinarily, in terms of their potential for deflation. Uh, following, you know, not just Moore's law, but but other kinds of um, you know, power laws in terms of how you know information becomes more and more uh, inexpensive. Another way to another way to think about it is, the more that our economic life is at the later stages of the evolutionary stack, meaning it's not in, you know, oil or cars or housing, per se. Uh, It's more in Netflix, information goods, media we consume, uh, web services, and other things that are kind of in the information domain, the more subject to uh, deflationary economics we will be. Now, the reason this is a serious problem, of course, is that We have a whole bunch of promises to an entire uh generation in the form of the baby boomers in terms of their pensions and and other retirement assets so so the so the broader way to see this in a sense is that we've the politicians have made a huge uh set of promises to the voting class um who who are active voters right these are our boomers they're active voters they're very politically influential, our most politically influential uh, uh, generation and, 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 and socioeconomic group. Um, and they also hold all the assets, by the way. So they're, the, they're not only the 1%. They really do hold most of the assets. And they're also the captains of industry and all this other stuff. So, so the point is that is not a group that is going to get left out in the cold by the people who control the printing presses. They're going to make sure that the asset values stay up. They're going to make sure that whatever's needed to combat these deflationary forces, um, both in form of technology as well as demographics. Uh, you know, we have a we have we have a graying population, uh, and and you know, relatively static um, uh, overall population growth. And, and by the way, we also have people leaving the workforce. You know, the boomers are leaving the workforce as they retire. And so all of those things mean you've got some serious headwinds on economic growth. And so you have all this debt sitting out there. You have slowing economic growth. You have deflationary technology. Um, and all those things add up to a very ugly economic picture uh, in terms of keeping the, the value of assets propped up, meaning stocks and bonds, real estate, etc. So, how do you get out of this mess? Well, you print. You just you just flood the economy with money. And you what that fundamentally does then is it turns you from an inflationary kind of economy to what they're going to attempt is inflation. All right? And that's why you're seeing inflation pop up in, you know, goods and housing and healthcare and and all these other things because, you know, they've been running this playbook for, you know, well over a decade now. Uh a couple of decades, frankly. And, of course, it drives massive wealth inequality and all this other stuff. That kind of takes us too far afield for the moment, this discussion about Bitcoin. But, but the point is that at a macro level, that is the, that's the bet. I mean, that's the bet you're making with something like Bitcoin that says, OK, I want to put my money, uh, let's say you have $50,000 that you were trying to protect against inflation and, and what these policymakers are going to continue to try to do over the next 10 years and you want to put it into a store of value where the supply cannot be inflated uh, because it's mathematically impossible for that to happen, well then, you know, and it's anonymous and it can be divided up, you know, uh, easily and it can be sent um, relatively frictionlessly uh, to anywhere in the world et cetera, et cetera. So it's got, it's got all these characteristics of money in a store of value. They're, they're very attractive. But fundamentally, it's a bet against the inflationary forces of, you know, what the, what the Western governments uh, are going to do and what they, what they have done. Um, there's no reason to think that that network effect has run its course. If anything, um, it, it seems to be picking up uh, speed. As I said, it's approaching a trillion. Uh, in terms of the whole crypto market, and uh, you know, it could very easily see that um, over the next five years go to multiples of that. Of the gold market, I think is roughly six to seven trillion in terms of total market capitalization, and you know, a lot of uh, pundits would say that they would expect Bitcoin to at least get to that to that spot, and I think that's probably a reasonable um, a reasonable guesstimate. Uh, you know, which would put it, you know, sometimes some somewhere, you know, close to an order of magnitude higher in terms of the overall uh, value than it is today. Um. So I think that's kind of the the overall macro analysis. That's the the that's the what and the why of Bitcoin. Uh, I have been buying. It's a very volatile asset. Clearly, or a very volatile store of value. So you know anything that can go up 400 percent in a month can also drop 50 percent in a week, uh, and it does. And so you have to you have to be prepared to you know either trade it actively, which I probably wouldn't recommend, or you just kind of slowly accumulate it when you can um, on the dips, and then you 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 look at it with a long term a long term perspective. There will come a time where I suppose you know years out. Um, you'd have to look at it and say, okay, is it is it still maintaining its thesis as a uh, as a potentially strong store of value? And a lot of that, I think, comes down to some of the governmental responses. There are some people uh, who, you know, obviously think a lot about this, and um, I think that you know they would argue that it's actually relatively safe, even from a, a full-on governmental assault. I'm I'm not as convinced of that. I I think that uh, if if history's proven anything it's that the US government is pretty pretty strong and capable of you know taking the knees out of something if if they want to. Um but you know it's it's still it's I mean it's as we said it's not even a fraction of the gold market yet. Uh you know one would think that it's probably not going to uh get get too much attention uh, until it gets to that point, even though obviously the feds are talking about you know regulations on it and they're talking about you know a, a cryptocurrency of uh for, directly from the Federal Reserve called fedcoin so they're clearly keeping quite a quite a close eye on it but um you know the other thing is is that if you take your bitcoin, you put it into cold storage, which means you offload it into a into a portable drive uh that you know a portable wallet and there are some uh, ones that are specifically designed just to do that, which I would recommend you you get. Um, you know that's something that you can go with you you could jump on a plane and you know you've just taken your Bitcoin with you and now you uh, basically have your money with you you know wherever you go in the world and certainly there's there's people that like that feature of it too they like they like the the sovereignty of feeling like their um, at least some of their assets are. Are, are portable, uh, anonymous, and um, and sovereign from uh, from from government. Um, uh, let's see what else to to mention here. I think in terms of overall, you know, portfolio allocation, uh, I think you know even a conservative allocation would probably be one percent. Um, I think higher higher allocations of three to five percent. Maybe even ten percent in some cases is probably appropriate, depending on your you know risk posture. Uh, I have no problem for example in 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 mind to be at to be at ten percent um, because you know it's 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 part of a diversified portfolio and I also have a pretty deep belief that the overall thesis behind it is going to prove itself out Someone asked me i think in one of the tweet replies um, how it, how it corresponds to or inter- interfaces with the Great Release. And I think it is really truly core, actually, to the thesis of the Great Release in the sense that the Great Release is very much being driven by the failure of the United States to more intelligently accommodate its own power and particularly economic power within its own borders and of course without as well, internationally. And what I mean by that in particular is that it's engaged in, in a four or five decade process internally of, uh, of increasing of, of policies that have increasingly wiped out the middle class and consolidated the wealth amongst, amongst a few people in the country. And that's made it fundamentally irresilient. And now, as we just talked about, in order to accommodate that problem, what it's going to do is it's going to print even more. And so the the loss of American hegemony is going to come on the back of its real idiotic short-sightedness about how it has created these real problematic policies that create internal... um, uh, internal irresilience through massive wealth inequality, and the way it has, has used its uh, position as the world's dominant reserve currency to basically finance that, that outcome, uh, to use its position as the dollar issuer, issuer of dollars to be able to run massive deficits to try to keep its political promises to uh, its pension class, to try to keep its political promises in terms of health care, all these other things that have run up our fiscal deficit, while at the same time um, keeping propping up financial assets uh, for the 1%. And, and it's of course been a disaster for the country, and we're seeing that with the rise of populism, which always rises on the back of inflation. And we have had a real brutal hidden inflation uh, for the last 20 years. If you look at the value of the dollar as measured in gold uh, which you can find on my Twitter account, uh, it's it's ugly. I mean, the dollar's just been absolutely wiped out in terms of its purchasing power, which is why people can't afford houses and can't afford health care, and they can't afford, you know, more and more things that are kind of core, a college education and these other things. Um, and that's driving driving the populism. So the Great Release is, is a thesis about the breakdown of the U.S. for many reasons. Uh, you know, there are certainly cultural elements to it, and there's, um, there's you know, political issues and all of that. But kind of at the core of it is, is the nature of, of imperial power, uh, which really, at the end of the day, follow the money. And it, and it is about the money and how we've mishandled that power from an economic point of view, and that will continue. And so the, 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 ne- the accommodation that is underway now is still short-sighted, it's still stupid, and it's gonna make the problem uh, deeper and worse even while trying to uh, perpetuate, you know, kind of perpetuate the game. So it is my belief that something like Bitcoin um, and in in fact Bitcoin, although it, you know, arguably could be a few other things, um, is going to be at the center of a move into the transformation age where American hegemony breaks down on the loss of confidence in the U.S. dollar because everybody can see what, you know, what they're doing. Inside the country, uh, they, you know, citizens will see that, that the Fed is, is killing the dollar, uh, so they're going to be putting their money in stocks, as we've seen, putting their money in real estate, as we've seen, and putting their money in you know, Bitcoin and gold and these other things because they don't want to sit in the dollar. And then outside the country, um, you know, our, our, our geopolitical opponents can see how we use the dollar as a, as a diplomatic bludgeon to try to punish, uh, punish our uh, competitors um, or opponents. And end up, um, you know, using it in ways that make them want us to lose hegemony as well. So, you know, the deck is not stacked well in, in favor of this lasting forever uh, and and China and Russia and others iran it's very much in their interest to uh, to basically facilitate anything that would cause the dollar to cease being the the dominant reserve currency over time and Bitcoin is I think what arises in its place to do that not not just Bitcoin you know clearly gold and oil are are are, are big components in 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 that picture but um but yeah, so the so the so the rise of the internet of value, what's called the internet of value, meaning literally an internet internet work, uh, which is what the internet is sta- you know short for uh, the, the Internet network of value, meaning you know so the World Wide Web is an internet of information and an internet of uh, media and an internet of websites that that serve up information and media, whether it be text or what have you. Well, the internet of value is saying the same thing, just with a different. Object. And the object in this case is is stored value. So the Internet of Value that I've said is going to be the, the the sort of uh, central currency of the transformation age at Teal, uh, arising over the next 20 years with Teal is is just that. It's going to be uh, some form of trustless uh, transstatal. You know, so so beyond the nation, transnation statal. Uh, distributed, so it's distributed and decentralized uh, network, internetwork of value storage, and you know at that point you just say, well, do we think it's Bitcoin or could it be something else? Could it be, um, could it be a Bancor-like instrument that had the actually had the um, the imprimatur of the nation states themselves? To do that. In fact, this is one of the things I kind of argued a little bit should happen. If, if, you know, if if the United States was feeling you know real uh, visionary and really wanted to step into a a true leadership position in the transformation age, I think it would explore just that. It would explore a a, a crypto ledger based bancor like instrument that it would be a part of, but but not be the dominant player, and it would be one of many players. And would allow it, by virtue of setting up the protocol, would allow it to uh, sort of lead the world into the transformation age in a way that would really um, reestablish and reestablish a sense of global leadership. But also prepare the world for an equitable form of economic competition in the 21st century. The way we're headed now is, is, is truly uh, almost like a World War I regression of, you know, inflation, you know uh, uh, currency wars, uh, tariff wars, and then hot shooting wars. And so the road we're on is not a good one, and, uh, but it's, it may be asking too much for the political forces within the U.S. to be smart enough and strategic enough to see what's required here. And unfortunately, that is the nature of a great release, isn't it? Is that by definition, what a great release points to is the fact that the system's irresilient. It literally cannot respond to change because the overall system IQ has gotten stupid. Um, not just cognitively stupid, but the system itself can't even, can't even bring the right voices to power. It can't even bring the right incentives into the system. It can't even bring the right um, people and players to bear and so what it what happens is it becomes kind of a free for all where it's kind of winner take all and this becomes uh, well i mean read the news this is where we are today and it's extremely dysfunctional because because the the social whole on in question or the ecosystem in question can't generate the system level intelligence it needs to then adapt and so what happens is it, it has to go through this breakdown, and only by going through a breakdown, only by going through you know, what amounts to a real shit show, and that really then blows up the, the power mafia, the power connections, blows up the 1%, blows up all of the ways in which the system is stagnant and all of the accumulated resources have been hogged and are, are not flowing properly. All of those interconnections have to get blown up in order for it to go into the next phase, which is the reorganization phase. And that's when the innovation really, really explodes and really starts to, to come alive. And I might argue that at least in some spheres, that reorganization phase of the great release has already begun. In fact, it, it's quite appropriate to point out that Bitcoin, not surprisingly, arose out of the initiation of the Great Release of 2008. So when the Great Release started, at least by my my measurement, my clock, was 2008, the Great Global Financial Crisis. And you end up then with um, this absolute implosion of the world financial system. No surprise that Bitcoin grows up literally right at that moment, right? At the end of 2008 is when um, Satoshi Nakamoto... Uh, uh, publishes the original, you know, white paper and puts the software out there. And in the first block, famously, you know, the first block of the blockchains points to an article on the on the banks getting bailed out. I think in England. So this was already a moment where the very first seeds and the DNA of the reorganization kind of underway. Um, for the great release that was beginning. This sense that, okay, the world's economic system dominated by the U.S. With this, with this ever-present playbook of the Federal Reserve printing money to bail out the political promises, to never let the economy adjust and go through any real pain, to never let the uh, you know, the, 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 the healthy forest fire occur, which would have cleared out the underbrush in the stagnant ecosystem that is, is the world system dominated by the U.S. and, and, the, and the economy, that was just continues to not be allowed to happen. And so the whole system is getting more and more irresilient. More and more tinder is building up, and the fire, the ultimate fire, is just gonna be bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I would, I would probably argue that that reorganization phase already started in certain domains even back then but really, we're still at kind of the, at, at, at the broader level we're still really in the release phase the 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 overall release phase is where we're at the The big breakdowns haven't occurred. I mean, you know, Washington of last week is clearly an acute version of 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 a great release. And I think in the political domain, it may in fact be the case that that's the beginning. Of the end um, or or the or the, or the beginning of the most acute portion of the great release on the political domain, but obviously these things are going to occur in all four quadrants in lots of different domains and lines of overall socio evolutionary development, um including you know uh psychological development and so. So the Great Lakes is going to take, take place in all these different areas, and there will be ways in which these different domains have reorganization phases underway variously at different paces and different, you know, different, different ways. But I do think that the Internet of Value is what is arising to become then the standard of, uh, of value exchange and, 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 and store of value for our economic lives uh 10 15 20 30 years from now and it is i think a very reasonable and good bet um to uh to to be a buyer of bitcoin on the on the back of that bet and that's how i think they're related to uh, the great release and so hopefully that's helpful to provide a little a little bit of uh, unpacking um Let's see. I think I'll probably close here. Just trying to think if there's anything else that's, that's worth mentioning. As I said, there's a lot of really good thinkers, uh, and and you know, people have do- dove into all these different areas. You know, what happens when quantum computing comes up, and you know, can the governments really shut it down? And you know, what is uh, what is uh, how, how does it really stack up against other kinds of uh, of, of money? Is it a Ponzi scheme? The answer is no. I mean, you know, at a, at a broad level, it's it's not a it's not a uh, it's not a Ponzi scheme on a narrow basis, uh, and it's certainly not a Ponzi scheme on a on a broad basis, unless you think that all money is a Ponzi scheme, which is kind of what I pointed out on Twitter last week. You know, all, all money, all stores of value, are a Ponzi scheme in the sense that their value comes from the next person coming along saying, "Okay, I think that's valuable, and so I'm willing to to to, to buy it from you." I mean, that's true of gold. It's true of of it's true of U.S. dollars. It's true of stocks. It's true of houses. It's true of everything, anything where we're storing our uh, economic life in it. And economic life, remember, is just uh, is just stored energy, stored economic energy, stored past work, past uh, past innovation, uh, past productivity, what have you. Um, that's what a store of value has to do. So, no, Bitcoin is not a Ponzi scheme. Could it? Could it eventually fail? I mean, I suppose anything that threatened the network effect uh, in the lower left could ultimately lead to its to its uh, long term decline and, and eventual failure. Sure, uh, and it's certainly possible that 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 happens. And uh, if that if that did, then you know so be it. But at this point, and one of the reasons I waited actually several years to to watch to see whether the the network effect caught legs, um, but. Uh, you know that's that that's at this point that's looking less and less likely. You know by the by the month. So um, that's it. Hopefully, I've helped you uh, with this short piece on it, and um, I will catch up with you guys later. Okay, thanks. Bye.